Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today, we are talking all about meal planning, which I know is um, challenging for some of my clients, challenging for some of you that may be listening, but we're hoping that after you listen to this podcast, uh, you have some really practical tips and techniques and tools that you can use at your disposal so that we can make this process just a little bit easier. And to do that, I'm actually bringing a special guest to the show. So Ann Kent is a registered dietitian and the owner of Peas and Hoppiness. She makes mealtime easier for busy families with her signature customizable meal planning service, the Peas and Hoppy Meal Guide Membership. Ann grew up on a farm and trained as a dietitian, earning her master's degree in nutrition and dietetics. She started Peas and Hoppiness as a passion project to link the silos of sustainable agricultural food and cooking and nutrition. Today, the Peas and Hoppy Meal Guide membership continues to work towards this goal and provides fresh new meal ideas with weekly menus featuring seasonal produce so members can support local farmers and get in touch with where their food comes from. Anne writes and tests all the recipes in her home kitchen, so members are confident to create delicious, plant-forward, nutrient-dense meals the whole family will love. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I love everything that you're doing. I support everything that you're doing. Um, I think it's fantastic when you can be the bridge between, you know, actual the growing of food and then the the eating of the food and bringing all of this together. I mean, nutrition is so broad when you look at all the different facets, um, but that doesn't mean it has to be complicated. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was even resonating with what you were just saying about how like, you know, meal can be challenging for some of your clients. I was like, me too. I feel the same way. Meal planning is also still challenging for me. Sometimes it's so easy to just get caught up in the busyness and it's hard to slow down and take care of yourself. And that's how I feel. That's what I feel meal planning is. It's actually a form of self-care. So did you grow up on a farm? Like what, where did your passion come from? I know you said a passion project. I'd like to hear more about that. I did. I uh, grew up on a farm in central Kansas. Um, it's my dad is actually on a combine right now. It is fall harvest there. So um, he is still um, they're retiring. They're they're transitioning the farm to a new family, but um, uh, it is a commodity farm. So they farm um, corn, soybeans, milo, and wheat. Uh, but that is where you know I grew up in a very rural area, um, and I grew up with a lot of like meat and potatoes and casseroles. And we always had vegetables, and we had a vegetable garden. But like um, even that was a little bit different than um, like the commercial farm. <clears throat> but uh, when I went to school, well, that's, I guess, where I really like learned my love of cooking. I would help my mom in the kitchen. We would um, make lunches is what we call it for the harvest crew. So we would like make the sandwiches and package everything and um, send it 
to the field when they were harvesting. Um, and my mom cooked all the time. I didn't know that it was strange to like cook two to three times a day, but honestly, like she was, she's just a fantastic, fantastic cook. Um, and then when I went to college and when I went through my internship and started to work with clients, I started my dietetics career in diabetes as a diabetes educator. And I realized that a lot of my clients really didn't know where their food came from. Like they had never seen how a tomato grows and they didn't know that um, oranges are in season in the winter. They, you know, we're, I, I think, used to going to the store and having everything available that we forgot, have kind of forgotten that food is actually seasonal. And I just mentioned my dad's on the combine. He's harvesting. It is harvest time. Even like in for fruits and vegetables, there's a lot of, um, you know, seasonal produce available. And that's going to change as we go into winter when there's snow on the ground and what's available. So when I uh, decided to I, I moved, I, I did my internship in Kansas City, and then I moved out to Colorado. And um, when I was here, I decided to start writing about these concepts. And um, because I had sort of, like I mentioned, like you read in, in my bio, that I saw these silos exist between, you know, who grew, who grows our food, the agriculture, and then like, how do you cook? Like if you've never had, if you weren't lucky enough to grow up with a mom who cooked or a dad who cooked, um, it's, you know, a skill set that a lot of us are missing. And then also how do you nourish your body in a way that tastes good, that honors these, these seasons. So that's where I started peas and happiness was to write about and explore the intersection between these things. So then it became a little bit more practical when I created the meal planning service that I write, um, because I, I felt like that was actually a way to, um, to tangibly reach people. Um, I continued to work with patients with diabetes when I moved out here to Colorado, and I found that a lot of my clients, they, they were missing that practical piece. Um, they, they really did want to cook more often at home. They really did want to nourish their body, um, but they didn't have the resources for it. And so I was like sending them home with recipe packets and sending them to different blogs or try to get them cookbooks. And it was still just overwhelming. It was like really piecemeal. And um, I mean, meal planning is challenging, even when you have your own process of doing it. And it's just like impossible if you don't know where to start or don't have the tools. So that's why I created this meal planning service was like, okay, you know, you sign up and you get a menu every week and uh, they're just ideas. This is inspiration. You can trust that they are nutritionally balanced, but then you can delete things that don't work or you can add things that you need. Uh, and then it creates the grocery list for you so that you don't have to spend hours searching through those cookbooks that you have piled up. Yeah, I think it's, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to highlight there. Like number one, the overwhelm, right? Because mm -hmm. now we are in a position where, you know, 30 years ago, it was basically how many cookbooks can you collect, right? Maybe you would get some at the library, but for the most part, you were stockpiling cookbooks, which had maybe two or three recipes that you actually wanted to make. But now you're left with this book that you have to store somewhere. Now we have access to an unlimited amount of recipes, whether it be through a program like yours, whether it be just the internet. Um, I guess we're not really looking at magazines anymore for recipes. That's kind of gone away. But sometimes you can yeah. come across something. And now we're almost at the point where we have so much information to choose from that is paralyzing us on the opposite end. Do you see, do you find the same thing? 
I totally agree. Absolutely. I always think of like Pinterest, like how many, pin, how many recipes do you have pinned on your Pinterest and how many recipes of those have you actually made? And, and that's partly why I think um, having an actual menu sent to you can be so powerful because it like just cuts all the other noise. Like you don't even have to look at those things. And then, um, but you still need some flexibility because the likelihood that you want to cook every single thing on that list, it's pretty low, honestly, because everybody has different preferences. They have different needs. You're going to need to cook different, you know, amounts of time. Like some people need to cook three times a week. Some people need to cook five times a week. Some people need to cook once. So, um, that's, that's why I think it's really important to have a way to customize your list. Uh, it's nice to like sign up for a a week of, you know, somebody can send you a list of recipes, but unless you can tailor that to what you're actually going to eat that week, um, it's going to be difficult to do. So that's what my program allows is that I do, I actually have a database of 800 recipes that you can choose from. So there's a lot of information there, but it's only in one place. So I like to say like, you don't need all of the options. You need the right options. Um, I actually, I term this the peanut butter effect. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever like, gone to the grocery store and you're like, okay, I need a jar of creamy peanut butter. And I'd like one that's natural. I don't want any like extra sugar or other oils in it. And you go to the peanut butter aisle and there's like 45 different choices. And so it takes you 15 minutes to find the peanut butter that you need. So you don't need <clears throat> more choices of peanut butter. You just need the right one. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this service to instead of giving you all of the options that are possibly available in the world, because there are a lot of really good options, I'm not saying the options aren't good, but you need the simplicity, you need the right ones in front of you. Well, and I think that's an important thing to note, you know, so whether you're working with like a program like yours or, you know, you know, a program at Body Metrics or, or any program that you can find off of the internet, you know, you there is still work to be done. Like we can't just think that this is going to solve all the problems and we're just magically going to morph into people who have all the time and resources and energy to make whatever dish is on this plan. That's one of the downsides of, of working with a pre-created plan that's not customizable, right? You, you still have a layer of effort that you are going to have to put into this if you actually want it to work the way it's intended. So I think, you know, just giving people that education, like, Hey, this is a, a tool. It's a start, but you may have to manipulate it and that's okay. That's definitely. Exciting. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's exactly what you teach your clients, right. Is to like start with their lifestyle and then to make a, make a healthy lifestyle that works around your schedule. And that's really similar to how I teach meal planning. You have a meal planning template. And the very first thing that I teach people to do is to take their planner or their Google calendar or their kids, you know, soccer practice schedule, whatever it is, and write down everything that's going on this week on your menu, which seems silly, but that identifying how much time you have to spend to cook, identifying uh, if you're even going to be home. Uh, the second thing that I have people do is to count how many eaters there are going to be at home, because sometimes there's going to be, everybody's going to be home. And other times somebody's at a work meeting, other, somebody else is at a friend's house and you don't need to cook that night. So starting with your lifestyle, I think is the key to, to making a plan that works. And so often I'm sure you experience this too. You know, somebody has come in and they're like, Ugh, I've, you know, I tried to do this 
program and I failed at it. And you're like, no, you didn't fail. The program failed you. They expected you to like rearrange your work schedule so that you could cook breakfast every day. Like that's not a realistic expectation. And so, you know, taking away a little bit of the guilt of like, it's not, you know, a lot of these things, it's really not you that's failed. It's that we're going about this backwards. So let's start with you and then let's create the plan that works for you. Yeah. Well, and another source of overwhelm could be unfamiliar ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. You know, as much as we may have outgrown some of the pickiness that, you know, we may have experienced as kids, or if you're a parent, you know, your some of your children may have specific preferences, um, but we, we get in ruts <laughs> because you know, we like what's familiar, but then we come to a place where we don't like what's familiar anymore and we want to do something different, but we're not quite sure how, or like you said, we may not have had experience eating certain foods growing up. And so to try new foods that may be rejected, um, to put forth all that effort and time, and then nobody likes it, that, and it's expensive. Let me make sure I note that as well. Like food is ridiculously expensive. And so I think sometimes they're, there can be a hesitation to go outside of the box and try something new if there's uncertainty whether it will be well received. I see that all the time. I totally agree. It's, you know, it's so easy to get in our food ruts because first of all, even though you have like the unlimited wealth of information, you don't have time to go through it. Um, And then, like you said, like we're going to cook and eat what is familiar. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that you often do get tired of it. Uh, And so that's kind of, again, the beauty of like someone else helping to provide some ideas within reason. Like, you know, again, I don't want you to, you don't need to like follow my whole Pinterest and just like download, like, you know, get this whole recipe idea. Um, It needs to be a little bit more tailored. And to your point too, I think that there is a very reasonable, realistic fear of trying a new recipe. Like, what if it's not going to turn out well? What if it's not well written? What if like, you know, step one should have been with step three. And like, if you're not familiar with how to cook this, then it, you know, again, the recipe failed you. Or I think the, uh, to your point about, you know, strange ingredients, there's like two different things there. First of all, I've seen some recipes that call for ingredients that I have no, no idea where to find. I shop at like, you know, my local Kroger's, <laughs> I don't shop at specialty grocery stores. I do not have time to, you know, bounce between all these different ones. And also coming from a rural background, a lot of my clients don't have access to a lot of those things. So to, you know, I'm not in my recipes, I'm very particular with how I write them, that it's very important to me that the ingredients are things that you can find in any grocery store uh, that you will recognize. However, if you're not familiar with some of these vegetables, because we are using a lot of seasonal vegetables, so there probably are some that you're, you haven't encountered before. So part of my passion is to teach people about these new vegetables. Um, and, you know, whether I, I do a lot of, you know, videos on, on different vegetables, but in every single recipe, I have written instructions for how to prepare the vegetable. So if you've actually never cut an onion before, First of all, I want you to know that you're not alone. There are many people who have never cut an onion before, and it is very intimidating if you have not. So I walk step-by-step through, you chop off the end of it, and then you peel it and and show you how to do that. If you're like, yeah, I got onions down, but, you know, maybe it's butternut squash, or maybe it's eggplant. Maybe it's like, you know, the next tier of vegetables that I want to try this. I want to see what it's like, but I'm I'm a little nervous. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay to be there. 
Yeah. I think that's so important because I remember I was doing a, a video one time for our business on how to cut butternut squash and oh it, it just it went awful so I'm it's live I can't like change anything oh. I'm like oh it's so simple you know you basically want to set your butternut squash on a on a um, cutting board and take a sharp knife and cut you know through except this did not cut it did not <laughs> cut at all it was so hard and I think my face turned bright red because I'm panicking. Like, what am I going to do? I just said how easy it is. And I can't even run a knife through this thing. Like, mm -hmm. ah, sometimes you need to flip it on its side. Let's try a different place to cut it. And thankfully, um, it worked that way. And then, you know, I could proceed with scooping out the seeds. But, you know, I think there's this fear of like, I'm the only person who doesn't know how to cut this food or something so simple. I don't know how to fry an egg. And we're like, oh no, like we, we all need, we all start Every, somewhere. Everybody started there. Yeah. You don't, you are not born magically knowing how to do these things. You have to learn uh, and it's, and it's okay. And that, that is something that I am really passionate about is, is making, making healthy eating, making nutrient, making meals at home, making that accessible to to everyone. Um, and I will tell you, I test these recipes on my husband, who is a great test subject because he is a very competent human. He is, you know, he can read and he can do things, uh, but he is not super comfortable in the kitchen. He is not the person that's going to go in and like find some ingredients and just whip something up. And so it, it's been really interesting to learn how to write recipes for people who need to follow them. Um, I the, the thing that stands out to me was I, I was like sitting in the counter and watching him prepare this recipe and he cut up the onions and put them in the pan. And then he set the timer for five minutes. And I was like, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm sauteing the onions for five to seven minutes, like the recipe says. And I was like, I didn't know that people would set the timer to do, to do that. But that makes sense because that was what the instruction was that I, that I wrote down. And so little things like that, I, I think um, it's helped me to write these recipes better because um, and it's like, it's okay. It's okay that he did that. And, um, it just like, because he is not comfortable just sauteing onions, he, he needs that little extra, you know, reassurance. So I make sure to write these, when I write a recipe, I always think, would my husband be annoyed if he were writing, if he were reading this recipe and following it? Yeah. I think all those little things are helpful because in the beginning, when you're cooking, it's all foreign. If you didn't have, mm -hmm. like you said, a parent in the kitchen with you, showing you, guiding mm -hmm. you, showing you how to use your senses to cook, it's completely mm -hmm. overwhelming. My clients, um, my listeners, they know this about me. The very first time I started cooking, I had the fire department at my house multiple oh, no. times because the smoke detector was hardwired to the fire department. So oh, anytime there was any smoke, I had two fire trucks down my nice quiet cul-de-sac and so you know you want to talk about somebody who has grown leaps and bounds when it comes to cooking i was that person that disrupted all the neighborhood's children's nap schedules with fire trucks as i would try to cook dinner so um now we can laugh about it at the time it was not funny but it's pretty painful <laughs> when it happens i hear you i've had those i've had those things too i've had the this is why I test all the recipes in my kitchen, because there's been a couple that we tested and I was like, we're not eating this. We're going out tonight. Like we are not. My husband's so kind. He's like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm like, it's really bad. We're not eating. this. Yep. So, you know, for all of your listeners, uh, like, let's just normalize that it is okay to make mistakes 
it's, you know, part of the learning process. We're going to try to minimize those because again, we don't want to waste food and it is expensive, but um, some of it is a little bit of trial and error and it's, it's okay. It does not mean that you are a bad cook. Just like if you try a vegetable for the very first time and you don't like it, it doesn't mean that you'll never like it. It just means that you need to, some practice. It just means that you need to try it again. Mm -hmm. Or prepare in a different way. Maybe absolutely. that's not your favorite. Yep. Yes, absolutely. So if somebody wanted to do some meal planning on their own, like they're like, all right, this is great. I'm not quite ready to invest mm -hmm. in a service or something like that, but I wanted to, I want to try to do some more meal planning. What are some suggestions on how to get started? Absolutely. I mean, um, the first thing I, I kind of made a reference this, to this before, but I definitely always recommend to start with your schedule and to, to think that through. And when I say like meal planning, I usually recommend a meal plan for one week at a time for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's really nice to think about like getting meal planning done for the whole month. But the problem is, is that your life is probably going to change so much that if you plan for the entire month by week two or three or four, things are so wildly different that your meal plan might not even be remotely accurate. So I recommend like a week at a time. It'll help to organize you and help to make this realistic. Um, it also allows you to grocery shop on kind of a rhythm. So you can go to the grocery store once a week without having to go multiple times during the week. Your produce is going to last for about a week um, and it's hard to, to get that to last longer. So start there, get a piece of paper, get your schedule. Um, I would be happy to send you my meal planning template for your, for your listeners to download if they want to use that, but whatever it is, get your, get your events on the schedule, think through how many people you're going to feed. And then when you take a look at, at where you're at and who you need to feed, the next step is to think about how often you want to cook. And of course, what you want to cook. And when you're deciding that you want to think not just about how much physical time you have to spend in the kitchen, but I also encourage you to think about your energy level. I think a lot of times we tend to over plan when we get started with something like this, because we're very excited about trying something new. Um, and if your goal is to cook at home more often, um, I have a little math equation for that which is not very hard. Basically, I, I would rec recommend to think about how many times you're cooking at home right now on average. So if you're maybe like cooking twice a week, great. If you're maybe cooking like four times a week, great. Um, but whatever number that is for you, add one to that number if your goal is to increase. Don't do more than that. I know it's so tempting to want to plan like five meals, but if you're not used to doing that, it's, it's, your schedule is going to be so different when you're cooking five times a week versus if you're cooking one time a week, it's just not going to be practical at first. So follow that equation. And that's how many times you should plan to cook for that week. Now you can be strategic about the meals that you plan and use leftovers, for example, so that you are eating at home more than just the times that you're cooking, uh, but you don't necessarily have to be in the kitchen that often. So that's kind of step three. And you can get that inspiration from anywhere. It doesn't have to be from my meal plan service. If you already have, if you're like a foodie and you're like, no, I love to find new recipes and that is my joy, then do that. You know, find your recipes and plug those in. Um, from there, from the cooked meals, the, the last step I recommend is to kind of fill in the blanks for breakfast, lunch, and snacks. And I encourage you to use leftovers for lunch or just like some simple things. Uh, you don't, I really recommend to not cook more than once a day uh, unless you, 
you know, really have a lot of time to do that, or this is a super big passion, uh, but it is okay to use some convenience foods. There are some really great, you know, little egg frittatas that you can buy pre-made if you want to have a different breakfast or to have some toasted peanut butter. Um, I like to think in, in a nutritional balance and maybe you teach this too, but I used, I usually think about the plate method. Is that mm -hmm. what you guys use? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a really helpful way of just thinking about the balance not that every single meal is necessarily going to look like a balanced plate where a fourth is protein, a fourth is carbs, and then half is fruit and vegetables. But if we're thinking about like the entire day, you know, how can we, how can we add that in? So like for breakfast, if you can get a carb and a protein and maybe add in a fruit, that's a really, that's a really fabulous balance to start off with. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing that I like to mention too, is this does not have to be something professional. Like you don't need to go buy special notebooks. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need to go buy special calendars. Um, all that stuff is mm -hmm. nice and it looks great. Um, I'll be honest, half the time when I do my meal planning, I'm using the back of one of my kids' homework sheets. I do the same. I have like little scratch papers and I honestly, I just go Saturday, Sunday, Monday to like, I literally write down the days of the week, write down where everybody's going to be. And then, yeah. So my meal planning template, it walks you through that if you've never done it before, but you can absolutely do it on a piece of scratch paper. Yes. Yeah. Cause sometimes we, we, I don't, we kind of move towards that perfectionist thinking like, well, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it the right way with the right resources. And I'm like, oh no, no, we can use the back of a homework sheet and we can do this in about, you know, it might take you a little bit longer in the beginning if you're not familiar right. with how to do it, but eventually you're going to be able to fly through this process once mm -hmm. we get you, um, get you the right resources. So how do you like to organize your recipes? How do you like to, are you on, do you have everything on like a Pinterest board? Do you do everything digitally? Do you have, are you more old school where you have actual paper recipes? How do you like to recommend storing? Well, honestly, all of my recipes are in my app. So they're all in this, in the meal, the 800 recipes in the database, they're all my recipes. So um, on the rare occasion, that's a, that's a really interesting question where I get the extra recipes. Um, honestly, I just Google them. I have a lot of, um, excuse me, I have a lot of cookbooks and I do have a Pinterest board. Um, but honestly, I find that when I need a specific recipe, it's a lot easier to just search Google for it than it is to search through all of my cookbooks. Um, and I will say the thing that I like about Google is that you get a star rating when you, when you search. And so like, what's a good example, a key lime pie, for example, my husband loves key lime pie. So that is his birthday dessert of choice. I do not have a key lime pie recipe in my database. That's pretty specific. So I'll just search my Google for key lime pie and then find the recipe that has the perfect, that has the highest star rating and, and use that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a little bit of, I'm a little opposite, not completely opposite, but I'm more of like, I like the physical paper in my hand. Um, mm. I'm still the age where my kids will take my phone. So I have them password protected. So then it's always timing out. And then my hands are messy. So I got to stop what I'm doing, wash my hands and put my phone back on, just read the recipe. For me, it is just easier to have a paper copy um, where I tend to store my recipes in a binder with sheet protectors because okay. then I can um, wash it off because I'm That's also a, a very messy cook. 
Um, in addition to bringing the fire company to my house, I also have to like scrub down my kitchen afterwards. But um, but there, I, I'm just curious because I know that, you know, in this digital age, it's now maybe more archaic to have paper recipes, but I think it comes down to personal preference. I agree. And honestly, I've actually had other clients who have, um, you know, they've used the meal planning service for a year or two, and then they've kind of like built up their repertoire on their own. Um, and you can actually print out, you can download all of, you can download your meal plan as a PDF and then print it out. So I have people who they've literally said, I have a binder of Anne's, Anne's recipes. And so they, they do that too. So I think that that's a great point. And there is something just about like having a printed recipe, So it is, I, I agree. Luckily, there's a setting on my app that it um, it doesn't time out when you're in a recipe. So, uh, but I do have that problem too. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, even if you've done um, meal services like Blue Apron mm -hmm. or any of that, mm -hmm. where they sent you the recipe, keep that. Like that doesn't yes. mean you can never make that again. Like you can use that. You know, I think sometimes too, where some people get hung up is they got to come up with new ideas each week. Yeah. And it's like, no, we can, we can put some on repeat, especially if they're family favorites, you know, let's bring that back. And, you know, the more we make it, the more comfortable we are with it, mm -hmm. the more we feel inclined to, to switch it up, change the ingredients up to our preference. So we don't always need to be coming up with brand new ideas every time we meal plan. That is a great point. I, yes, I really agree with that. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. And honestly, I think it's overwhelming for your family a lot of times too. Like we do, you know, as humans, we do like, you know, similar things and that's normal and it's okay. So, um, you know, with the meal planning, another just trick that I like to use sometimes are like to have sort of themed nights just to help you have some inspiration. So like, or maybe it's like the same meal type every week. Um, I don't do this, but a friend of mine, she always would do uh, popcorn and smoothie nights on like Sunday night. And it was just like, we, they threw in whatever fruit they had and whatever protein in the, in the smoothie. And like, they made popcorn and like, that was their like special thing, but it meant mom didn't have to cook. And uh, so like, there are some, some ways to incorporate some of those. I don't know. Um, let's, let's take a little bit of the stress off. There is a middle ground between cooking like a gourmet meal and ordering takeout. Like you could throw together a protein and a carb and a vegetable in a, in a snack form, um, but you know, up the portion to a meal. And as long as it's balanced, that's okay. We like charcuterie board night at our house where again, we have, you know, a cheese and some whole grain crackers and some fruit and fresh veggies. And it, it sounds like a snack, but it's, it can be a meal. Sure. Exactly. Um, and meals, like you said, we can use prepackaged foods in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like we can eat, maybe you're getting a pre-made bag of salad and you're throwing chicken nuggets on it, right? Like, yes, you know, we can mix and match depending on where you're at um, to find something that, you know, the whole family can enjoy. Maybe the volume or the ratio of proteins to mm -hmm. carbs to produce look different for everybody that's sitting at the table. But, you know, there's there's something that we can find a common ground that everybody can enjoy. Do you recommend that to your clients trying to only cooking one meal? Or do you find that a lot of your clients try to cater to everybody's preference with different meals? Mm, we're diving into the picky eating question. <laughs> um, oh, man, it's so challenging. Um, 
I, well, it's, it's up to you. I think it's a lot of work to cook more than once. So I would not recommend it. I don't necessarily think that's a sustainable way to go. Um, but there's a lot of different ways of offering like a safe food. And I think is kind of what you're referencing. And that's one of the, um, that's one of the recommendations for picky eating is when we're, when we're trying something new, and this is true for a child or an adult, I think it's very, very important that we feel safe and we feel autonomy in being able to say no. So especially for like a child, if they're going to say no to a new food, then they need an option of like what to eat. I have a toddler and if he's going to say no to this thing, I still need him to eat something. Otherwise he's going to wake up in the middle of the night hungry and that's not going to work for us. And so um, one of the ideas I mentioned, uh, if you try a vegetable and you don't like it, try it again. Um, you probably talked to your clients about this, the, like how, how many exposures it takes in order to determine whether or not you like something. Like some of the research shows that it can take up to 20 times of being exposed to a new food before you can really say yes or no, I don't like that. So for your picky eater who is like, wait a second, this is a brand new recipe. I'm not going to eat that. Um, it does count as an exposure to see you eat it and enjoy it, uh, but it would be okay to maybe serve a safe food alongside that new food so that they do have an option of something to say yes to. They have an opportunity and a safe way to try a new food, um, but you're still, you're, you're kind of, you're meeting everyone's needs. You're meeting your need because you don't have to cook two meals. You're meeting your child's need because they had an exposure to the food, but also like did have something to eat. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question? Yeah. I'm, 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 for believer, just logistically with the number of people in my family, mm -hmm. we only make one meal. We, I'm right. not going to cater, but I know so many of my clients are struggling with burnout around mealtime because they're making three different versions depending on what everybody's preference is. And sure. then it makes the whole process overwhelming to the point where they don't want to do it anymore. I understand. Right. I completely get mm -hmm. it. If I had to cook three different, you, you mentioned earlier, try to stay in the kitchen like once a day. Imagine- mm -hmm in that one time cooking three meals, well, yeah, it's, it's too much. You know, another thing you could think of too, is um, like, say you're having like a mix, like say we're making like a broccoli rice casserole or something, something that's like has a lot of stuff in, but your child might be like, I don't like the onions in that, or I don't like the broccoli in that, or I don't like, um, so maybe you could consider before mixing it all together to separate some of your ingredients and just have them as kind of like a la carte things. And some of that can help picky eaters too, because they feel a little bit more control and a little bit more autonomy to be able to say like, okay, like I want the cheese and the rice and like the broccoli can stay over there or like, maybe I'll try the onions or, you know, just letting them, um, like doing some build your own. So instead of making two totally separate meals, maybe just, um, like before you do some of the steps, maybe separate your ingredients, something like that, being a little bit creative. Yeah. I, my one son, my youngest son, he does not care for mushrooms. So, you know, that mm -hmm. we all do. So that's an easy thing. We're just like on, you know, the last strip of whatever I'm making, I just will make sure there's no mushrooms on that piece. So that way he can still enjoy the meal, but we all mm -hmm. are not making something separate. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. And again, like him seeing you guys eat the mushrooms, like it's an exposure. Maybe he will like mushrooms someday. Maybe he won't. There are a lot of other vegetables in the world. It's fine. Yes. It would be easier though, if he just joined our, our <laughs> right. side. That's the goal. <laughs> so what are, and what are your recommendations in terms of grocery shopping and meal prep? So meal prep is different mm. than meal plan. All right. <laughs> 
Um, so why don't we go and talk a little bit about that, um, maybe what your tips and tricks are, and we can maybe compare what has helped our clients. Absolutely. You know, meal prepping, I think, is really interesting because everybody has sort of a different um, version in their head of like what that means. For some people, that means I am prepping all of my meals on Sunday afternoon and portioning them in the fridge and like they're ready for the week. Um, sometimes that can take hours in the in the kitchen and that can be pretty overwhelming. I sort of do a hybrid if I meal prep ahead at all. Um, if I have my cutting board out and I'm waiting on something to cook, say I just put something in the oven or I'm waiting on my dinner as sauteing, sometimes I'll like to prep another meal while I've got everything out and dinner is cooking because I'm sort of like stuck in the kitchen anyway, waiting on all of this. And so we might as well get some things done. Uh, so meal prep, I guess I want to maybe remove the um, the idea that you necessarily have to like spend hours and hours in the kitchen. You could find little bits of time that are unused and prep small portions of the next meal that'll save you some time later in the week, but not necessarily cost you a whole lot. Uh, because I have a toddler, if he's in a you know decent mood and he will stand in the tower for a little bit, sometimes I'll prep a meal when he's just like playing there. And that's a great way he can like, you know, again, get exposure to food and he can like see all this happening and I get something done and checked off my list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that can be a big um, sticky point for some people if they're thinking, all right, I've got to plan all my meals. That takes me like an hour till I find recipes, go through my pantry, go through my fridge, figure out what I have, what do I need to buy, actually go to the store, then I bring it home. Now I have to prep everything for the week. I mean, between all those three things, that's that's hours of your day. And maybe that's not how you want to spend your weekend. I sure don't. <laughs> I mean, and I love to cook and I, you know, I would rather spend it with my family. So um, I guess my message is, is that it doesn't, it can be that if you would like. And I know that I know some people who that works really well for, and, you know, all power to you. Once you find something that works for you, that's not the rhythm that I find. I prefer to cook during the week. Um, some people like to cook things ahead of time. I like the vegetable prepping that I was just mentioning. I oftentimes like to just do the prep and then actually cook it the next day so that it tastes fresh because I eat leftovers because they are necessary and we have them and it's easy, but I don't love them. I would prefer something fresh, of course. So that's a nice way to uh, take some of the prep out, but um, maybe I'll prep my roasted veggies. And that way, when I, you know, get home, I can just throw them on a sheet pan and put them in the oven instead of having to take the extra 15 or 20 minutes to prep and then do that process. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same as you. I will, I'll do my meal planning one day. I'll do my grocery shopping another day. And then I will do my prep as I go, unless I can do some chopping. Like I won't prep to the point of cooking ahead of time, but I will do the chopping ahead of time just to save, save time. So, yeah. And I should mention too, there are, you know, a lot of like convenience foods available where, you know, you can actually buy butternut squash already cut up. So that's a fine option. I think a lot of times like processed food gets a bad rap because when you think of processed food, you think of like candy bars, but there's a lot of processed food that is actually still very nutritious and can make your life a lot easier. So you can use frozen green beans and they are pretty close, if not sometimes even more nutritious than fresh green beans, depending on what the season is. So I, I you know, 
let me take away some of the guilt of using some of those convenience foods. If that's going to help you to get dinner on the table and get a vegetable in there again, like use your resources. You're working smarter, not harder. That's right. I, I want something you said about meal planning also just uh, reminded me that um, I think again, with meal planning, we think, okay, I have to like sit down and it has to be very formal and I have to have my special little template here. Uh, but you could meal plan in the pickup line. You could meal plan while you're waiting on your kid's soccer practice to get done. You could meal plan over your lunch break at work. Uh, you know, maybe think about those little minutes that you have where normally you'd be like scrolling on your phone or something, but that might actually be a time where you could do some planning that will save you a lot of stress later. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Um, this whole process doesn't have to be done in one fell swoop. Like we can, yes. we can break it up. We can chunk it up into little segments. Maybe you're just coming up with ideas. And then later in the day, you're actually going through your pantry and fridge to see what do you need to purchase? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I do think that's an important tip. So I want to make sure we don't gloss over that. Always shop your pantry and fridge first. Yes. So we're not being wasteful with our resources. Like most people have plenty of meals in their house already. Mm -hmm. You might, I, the amount of people that are like, oh, do you know how many frozen meats I have and how much, how many cans of this I have and frozen vegetables? I'm like, well, let's just, let's start with that first. Yeah, which is a great tip on if you need some ideas of like how to come up with recipes. So you've got like three cans of black beans in your fridge. Um, you know, in my in the recipes, you can search by ingredient. And so or you could search in Google recipes with black beans, entrees with black beans, and mm -hmm. you might find something that's that would surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody is good at playing chopped, right? The right. TV show chopped. So so having some ideas ahead of time and then being able to use them up, that's going to feel real good too, to start moving through your inventory. Definitely. What are your recommendations for those busy families um, that are out of the house between 4.30 and 7.30 in the evening mm -hmm. over that dinner time hour? Every family is a little bit different. Um, for my family, especially for my starving 14 year old stepson, it basically means that he eats dinner twice. Like he eats dinner at four o'clock and then he eats a second dinner when he gets home at eight. And I know that that's not ideal, but especially if it's for a, a sports practice or something, he really does need to fuel his body for the rest of us. Um, you know, I think it depends. Every family is going to be a little bit different. So maybe you're all sitting down to a snack or like a meal snack or something at like four o'clock. It seems a little early. Um, and then maybe you're, you know, maybe you're eating the same time as him. Maybe you're not. Maybe the rest of the family is actually eating dinner at, at six o'clock and that's okay. I think, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about making mealtime easier is because just the act of sitting around the dinner table for us is so special. And I know it's not always practical. Sometimes you just have to grab like a protein bar in the car and that's, you know, that's life. But maybe when, you know, your kiddo gets home from practice, maybe even if you're not all eating, you can all sit together with him. And that is for us, it's such a special place it gives us time to talk about our day. We get to hear about his practice. We get to make sure he's doing his homework. Um, and so I guess what I would encourage you is even if it's not at like the conventional hours, you could still treat that as a meal time. You could still treat it as a, as a family meal. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I see the memes all the time. We experience it. You know, if, if you have a kid in activities, dinner's either at 4.30 or 8.30. Mm-hmm. Like, that's I just how you. it is. So and, oh, how yeah, do you yeah, cook yeah. for that? Like, how do you cook when yeah. people in the family are eating at different times? That's I, That's a great question. My favorite strategy for that is to use slow cooker meals because oftentimes slow cooker, they are ready for a long time. Like they can, they can be like ready to eat at four o'clock and they can still actually be good at eight o'clock. They're kind of designed for those long cook times. So those can be really helpful or maybe thinking about like a fresh meal. So maybe you're doing um, like the charcuterie board sort of thing, or um, I'm trying to think of another like super easy kind of grab and go that you can uh, like maybe even something like tacos or something that um, all of these ingredients can be separated and then you can build them whenever you want to. So it doesn't matter if like, if, so for our family, when my, when my stepson has that practice and he's eating twice, we still need to eat at five 30 or you know, to get my toddler to bed. So we'll either do the slow cooker meal or we'll do one of those, like build your own and he'll come home and like have the leftovers sort of that are like, pretty fresh still. Cause we cook them at, at five 30, but he's just eating a little later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the meals that we do in our house is a uh, salad bar is what we call yeah. it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll cut up a whole bunch of different ingredients. I'm like grilled chicken. Cause chicken can be great hot or it can be great mm-hmm. cold. Shrimp is another one of those ingredients that you can eat warm yeah. or cold. And so depending on when you're coming into the house, you can still assemble your meal as if you had it at 530 with the rest of the family, um, but still get all your nutrient needs. Um, That can also be another option. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, So if you had, like, what are your top three tips for somebody who may not be meal planning or may not be meal planning consistently? What are your top three tips um, to help move that along to take that next step started sure uh number one if meal planning itself feels too intimidating don't meal plan just pick one or two recipes and make those this week maybe pick those two days think about when you're gonna when you're gonna do them when you have time it's hard to not think about your schedule at at all when you're thinking about meal planning because you do need to pick recipes that you are going to have time to make. But if you know that like Wednesday, you're going to be home in the evening and Saturday, you're going to be home, then just pick two recipes and just focus on those days. And especially if you're new in the kitchen, just getting a recipe or two is going to help you build the skills so that it goes faster next time. Uh, So that would be my number one. Forget meal planning and just pick a recipe or two. Um, Number two is kind of related that I would say, do not over plan, do not over schedule. It's so tempting when, and you know, we all get so excited about our new habit or our new self and like, yay, that is so awesome. Uh, But I just want to remind you that you are not a professional chef or eater. You are, you have another profession and you might be a parent and you might be a friend and you're, you have all these other roles. So your nutrition needs to fit around all of that you, you know, very few people, maybe some uh, like celebrities get to put their entire life on hold and do a special diet. The rest of us don't have that luxury. We still have to go to work. Um, number three, I would say like, relax and enjoy this. Like food is fun. You know, it does not have to, it does not have to be perfect. Um, if you can 
you know, laugh at the fire department coming, which maybe, you know, is a little bit hard to do admittedly in the, in the time, but, you know, give yourself some grace as you're doing this and, and enjoy the process, like have some fun, um, make it a scavenger hunt with your kids to find like the new vegetable and like do it together. Um, whatever is going to bring you joy. I think that that's going to help you connect to your why of why you're doing this. And it's going to make it sustainable because when you're doing something you hate, you're going to find a way out. That's a normal response to doing something you hate is to stop doing it. So if you can make it a little bit more enjoyable, it's going to make it more long-term. Yeah. I love all that. And I love the fact that, you know, when you try new foods, now you're expanding your options, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, that's the beauty of it. When you have more op options available to you, it stays exciting. It stays fun versus when you're working with the same 15 ingredients every day, that's when we tend to get bored and then do what feels quick and easy, which is takeout. So um, what are, one of the things that I teach um, is to have a few plan B meals mm -hmm. in your back pocket, whether they're in the freezer or the pantry, ideally one of those two locations, because they can stay there if you don't get to them. So, you know, but they're basically your backup plan. So your meal plan is plan A. Plan B is not going out to eat. That is plan C. Right. <laughs> plan B is your backup meal plan. So when you think you're going to have time to make pork chops, mashed potatoes, and green beans, but you actually don't have time to make that, what is going? what are you going to make to keep you from going out to eat? What are some of your go-to plan B meals? I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but- Oh, I love it. Yeah, I call them- um... I call them super easy last minute meals. So we ah. are on the same page. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, maybe this shows my dietitian side, but a lot of mine have to do with lentils. Um, so because lentils are a super nutrient dense legume, but they don't take as long to cook as like dried beans do. So one of my favorites is to do like a lentil chili or a lentil soup because I oftentimes have all of those ingredients on hand. Carrots and potatoes and onions last a very long time, so I can always whip something up with that. Um, another one that's even faster than something like that would be um, my comfort food is a cheese quesadilla. I don't know why it's like, you know, super comforting to me, but I always have cheese and I always have tortillas because they stay good forever. And then I add whatever vegetable we have. So sometimes we'll have like some zucchini in the fridge that needs to be used. Sometimes we'll have like frozen green beans or, um, I'm trying to think of other, or maybe it's like the salad that needs to be used. So, um, I tend to think in those compartments of, um, protein, carb, vegetable, and, um, the quesadilla is a great protein and it's a great carb. And then I just need to add in a fruit or a vegetable to go alongside that. Um, another one that I love is breakfast for dinner. I think a lot of people can, you know, relate to that. Usually you have eggs and like pancake batter on hand. So there again, we've got the carb and the protein. We just need to make sure that we've got a veggie to go with it. So I like to, um, I've trained my family to enjoy like sauteed greens with our eggs, um, or we'll, we'll just saute a vegetable with it. And you think it's weird at first, but then you get used to it. And so now we always have a sauteed vegetable with our scrambled eggs. Yeah. So surprisingly, what I found uh, that I really enjoy is my scrambled eggs with uh, spaghetti squash. Ooh, yeah. Never put those two together, but oh, great idea. Um, yeah, that just that little hint of sweetness in the spaghetti squash mm -hmm. just pairs really well with the savoriness of the protein. 
Um, especially if you add like fresh herbs with it, um, mm -hmm. it can just be surprisingly, I, I really liked it. I just, I didn't think I would, but I was like, I need a vegetable. I kind of think in compartments with you and I'm like, Oh, this is what I got. So let's try it. And, um, it ended up being really nice. So that's, that's so fun. Yeah. I'll have to try that. Thanks for the tip. Yeah. So, and where can we learn more about you? Um, I know you mentioned you have a meal planning service. Um, where can people find you and learn more about your, your work? I'm online at peasandhoppiness.com, and that is hoppiness with an O, like the beer. I was I was brewing beer when I started my blog, and so that's where it came from. But peace and happiness, uh, peas and hoppiness. So peasandhoppiness.com. Like I mentioned, I have a free meal planning template. So if someone um, wants to get started, um, I'll send you an email sequence that kind of helps you to teach you how to go through that process. Um, and so that's at peasandhoppiness.com slash template, uh, or you can just find it on my website. And if you want to try out the, the meal planning service, you can uh, do a free trial. I have a free two-week trial to get started. Uh, cancel if it doesn't work for you, but um, it comes with the access to our app. So I try to make it really easy and accessible. Um, so you can find that online as well. So peasandhoppiness.com slash join is where you'd find me there. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm on TikTok, unfortunately, but I am there too. So you can find me anywhere. My handle is Peas and Hoppiness. Excellent. So, and we always share recipes at the end of the episode because we want to make sure that, the, you know, not only are we providing education and information, but we want to make this practical too. So what are some of, you know, maybe one of your go-to recipes that, you know, is possibly quick, easy, um, that maybe family friendly. I don't know what you have prepared, but um, we'd love to hear an idea, especially since you write recipes. Yes. You know, okay. I just changed my mind of what I was going to share with you. <laughs> I was going to share an apple pie recipe, but I actually, I think I'm going to share with you my high protein banana pancakes, because this is one of my member favorites and we love to make this recipe too. And it actually does not include protein powder. Uh, it uses eggs for the protein. So this um, is actually for just four servings, which sounds a little bit crazy when you hear the ingredients, but um, it's accurate. So three ripe bananas, you can use frozen and then thaw them, six eggs, one tablespoon of canola oil, a half cup of flour, two tablespoons of sugar, two tablespoons of ground flaxseed, a teaspoon of baking powder, and a fourth of a teaspoon of salt. So what you're going to do is you're going to mash the bananas with a fork or a potato masher until it's smooth and like almost liquidy. Um, and then you're going to add the eggs and the oil and you're just going to mix them together. You can use a fork and just beat them for about 30 seconds. And then you're going to add all of the extra, all of the other ingredients, same bowl. You don't have to split them up. So you're going to add the flour, the sugar, the ground flaxseed, baking powder, and salt, and mix them until they're combined and the batter is smooth. And then you're going to make pancakes just like usual. So heat your griddle once it's hot. Uh, then you'll, I use a fourth of a cup of batter per pancake. And uh, the trick with making perfect pancakes is you want the temperature of the pan to, you want your pancakes to be bubbly. That's how you know it's time to flip them. So if they're getting too brown on the bottom before they're getting bubbly, you need to turn your heat down a little bit. If they are like bubbly, but like still like barely brown at all, then you need to turn your heat up. So just accordingly, but once they're a little bit bubbly, flip your pancake and um, 
just for about 30 to 60 seconds on the second side and you're done. So those are some of our favorites. And don't forget to set your timer for that 30 to 60 seconds. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, no, that's a great recipe idea. I know people, you know, there's recipes out there making like banana oatmeal cookies. And so now having something that's high protein without like a powder involved um, and in a pancake form, which is very family friendly. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, we love them. It's yeah, they're super yummy. They're very banana-y. Um, I oftentimes eat them without syrup because they're pretty sweet. We added a little bit of sugar, um, but I mean, you can, my stepson loves them with Nutella. He puts Nutella on everything. So I was going to say, you can put peanut butter on top and have yeah. that, especially if like it starts to melt and then it gets a, you know, not like thick, sludgy yes, that peanut butter. So good. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and thank you so much for all of this. This has been really helpful. I've, you know, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think a lot of our listeners are going to enjoy it too. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to, to chat about food. Of course. All right, guys, that's our episode for you today. Hopefully you will go and feel inspired to meal plan. And if not for the whole week, like Ann said, start with maybe one or two nights and see if, you know, get some... Um, momentum under your belt, get some confidence, and then start from there. Once you feel comfortable, add plus one, right? We don't want to go plus three. Let's just start with plus one um, using some of the tips and tools that she taught us today. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, have a great week and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrian Delgado, and I'll see you next week.